Scoog's house. We got back on track Tuesday night. We got to take down the impact of that game. Get ready for the weekend. A lot of hoops talk today, as usual, because we got the number five team in the country in the AP these days. Go Cougs! You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater, can you stop by? Please be sure to subscribe. That way you get the podcast in your feed each and every day. That way you'll pop on your news feed each day. Be sure to make Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to YouTube. As you're listening to this on the 15th of December, we're officially on YouTube for a month. <laughs> so the channel's been going for a month, and you guys have been great. Keeping up with the comments, keeping the subs coming. It's awesome, awesome for the channel to see it grow. Remember, when we get to 250 subscribers, we'll be giving out one of these Marcus Sasser t-shirts. Uh, cool old vintage graphic design. Um, we're going to be handing those out, or handing one out at least, when we get to 250 subscribers. Uh, so make sure, A, you subscribe so we get there, and B, leave a comment to make yourself somewhat entered. Uh, we're going to be giving it to someone who's been commenting on videos. If you listen to this video and have nothing else to say, tell us if you like crunchy or creamy peanut butter. Now, today's episode is going to have three different kind of distinct segments. The first we're going to look at that North Carolina A&T game. Uh, we got to, we're going to kind of break that down a little bit. Um, the second segment is going to look at some comments Samson made after the game and kind of how that ties into the game itself, the season itself, and like bigger things because Samson always has a little bit of those kind of things going after these games that the rest of us might find meaningless. Um, and then in the third segment, we're going to start to look ahead towards Virginia. Admittedly, it's like a sna- snapshot in the third segment for looking forward to Virginia. And then on Friday's show, we're going to have like a much more in-depth look at Virginia. But here in the first segment, let's do a little bit of talking about the game itself. If you missed the game, it was the classic uh, blowout in a pre-conference game for Houston. Uh, Houston wins 74-46 to over North Carolina A&T in a uh, Coaches Against Racism Challenge. We talked in an episode a couple days ago about how that's a very, very important thing to Samson. Uh, North Carolina A&T obviously has got a coach he respects and they came to town to play Houston. Uh, good experience for them. Good experience for Houston to get back on track. Um, I threaded my thoughts to the game. If you noticed, uh, I said I'm a Houston-born teacher and coach. I really am. We had games tipped off kind of like on Tuesday night, so I got to watch the game, like start the game at like 9.30 or something like that, 9.45, so I got to finish the game really late. Um, my thoughts are all threaded on Twitter, but I will say um, that I had some thoughts I wanted to embellish a little bit more than 280 characters. Um, I opened with, I thought it was nice to see them hit us with a zone, um, and that led to the explosion of one Javier Francis. Now, I Type that in Twitter lingo as JVA because if you heard Kelvin Sampson say his name, that's how Kelvin pronounces it. And so I, I just type it like that. I'm sorry if that is another best way to go about it. But those are things that JVA or Francis was A, the first big man off the bench. I felt that that was relatively important. It wasn't Reggie Cheney. Um, and that seems to be kind of a shift than from what they've been doing. I hope that's not just because Cheney missed a bunch of free throws at the end of the Alabama game. There were certainly other reasons that Houston lost that game, but also, um, I get it. The other thing I'll say too there is that um, JVR's impact was awesome because he's so, so long. He's listed like 6'8 and change, um, but with such a long, positive wingspan, he sticks his hands up. He looks like any of the seven footers we've ever had. I guess 6'10s come through right the last you know, half decade or so. 
He's way up above the rim. And so what that meant is, whether it was J1 Roberts or Jairus Walker at the start, they got to go in a high post to nail or pop out and send a guard and, you know, a Jamal Shedd type into that same area. And he was able to reach up and play this true high-low that, bluntly, I love J1 Roberts. I love Reggie Chaney. But they've got to get off the ground to go do, and that requires timing and uh, it, like luck a little bit. And the, whereas if JVA Francis just has his hands up, don't require that. Um, that's important because JVA Francis had his best game in Houston Cougar uniform. I'm reading the stats, and this is his real stat line 17 points, 15 rebounds, just 28 minutes. Now, just 20 minutes feels like a little facetious. That's the most minutes he's had by far this season. But man, oh man, were they impactful, impactful minutes. He also had three. Big blocks, including the one at the end. The highlights gone viral from this game has been the Emmanuel Sharp, Lodge, Ramon Walker to kind of uh, it was the last made field goal for Houston of the game. Uh, and the start of that fast break is a Javier Francis block off the glass that like he pops it off the glass so hard it like starts an outlet pass behind him. Um, actually, the other thing I think that it, obviously part of the big night for Francis is that because they went zone. He had a very natural role in offense, right? He didn't have to create offense as much as like catch drop-offs, catch lobs, and like, I don't want to say catch putbacks, but also like he had seven offensive rebounds, so yes, a couple times. And um, the high-low stuff kind of can function in a similar way to a putback. The other thing I'll say is that um, defensively, and I don't mean this that he's he's not going to grow into a great defender, but there was no one on the North Carolina A&T side that was running him off the floor defensively from the, and their big men. Um, they started a more traditional look with, with multiple big men on the floor at the same time. And so thus he, he fit into his fine. Um, whereas like Alabama, when that four guard lineup kind of broke the mold, he couldn't have probably stood on the floor in the same way. I mean, Reggie changed my opinion, a better perimeter defender and he had trouble staying on the floor. Right. Um, all that is to say that JVR Francis had a big, big game, man, if he played like that, even if you don't get the same amount of minutes because some of the Virginia is a little bit different. Um, if he has that kind of an impact in whatever minutes he plays, on Saturday against Virginia. Things go our way really, really, really fast. The other thing I'd say as I'm wrapping up talking about this game is um, it was nice to see Marcus Hasser get back in the shooting groove. Some people will probably somewhat accurately talk about how it was North Carolina A&T, and that's probably part of it. The other thing I think is worth pointing out is that um, in the Alabama game, he had his goggles on because he just had five stitches put over his eye. Um, worth noting in the previous, uh, was it 10 days ago at this point, when he got the cut over his eye, he had already gone like eight points in six minutes. Like he was shooting the ball, shooting the leather off the ball. Came in that game with his goggles, shot poorly. And then, and he got face guard in the whole nine, and got the Quentin Grimes treatment. Da, da, da. We'll see how, how much that carries on. It's not, I think Sasters is, is more stringent than when they gave Quentin Grimes. Um, but he then gets the goggles off, has just a slight bandage over the, where the stitches are slash were. I haven't seen under the bandage. And then he has another tremendous shooting night, uh, 17 points on just 10 shots, um, two for five from three. And frankly, I thought a third one of those was going in as well. So I, I said to say that it sounds like it looks like Sasser in his 24 minutes played like he should have played in his 24 minutes. Um, he also had for what it's worth, uh, four rebounds and two assists, um, had, he probably should have had a third assist. I'm not going to go into who should have made that shot anyway. Um, the impact of both of those things though, were that, um, in the North Carolina NT zone, once you have Sasser hot, you can then start experimenting through the guards. So we saw Emmanuel Sharp out there early. We saw Terrence Arsenal out there for stretches of time. Because A, on defense, the game was moving slow enough that they could keep pace. Um, they're both freshmen. I guess Emmanuel Sharp got here last January, but if we talked about it a couple times now, he is hurt, right? And so 
he was able to keep pace on defense. Terrence Arsenal was able to keep pace on defense and they got to stay in the game more. And they're offensively very skilled. Like I love watching Ramon Walker play basketball. He's junkyard dog. These guys got some offensive finesse and skill and jump shots and those kinds of things that he don't got. And so getting to see Arsenal out there for extended time makes me feel a little bit better. He got 18 minutes. Emmanuel um, Sharp got 25 minutes. That's by far his most in a game so far. Um, same thing going to happen with Javier uh, Francis minutes. I mentioned it took away from Reggie Cheney, but what that did is it put J1 Roberts and Jarris Walker in unique spots, um, A, in the high-low of the zone, and then B, when they eventually went to a man, it meant that they were also working more block-to-block kind of stuff. Um, I really, really like the creativity I saw of that because, frankly, we talked – I mean, you and I talked back in, like, what was that, early October? Um, I – I felt like this is going to be a year where we saw a lot of guard play because I saw Jairus having extended his game beyond the arc and you'd see junkyard dogs down low getting to have more traditional big man play. That was really, really nice to see. And I think on the whole that, um, that that's a better way moving forward for this team. It's more balanced approach. And frankly, it keeps teams honest and makes them cover a lot of different things. Obviously having junkyard dogs like, Ramon Walker or uh, Reggie Cheney or whatever is great, but being able to have some balance, I mean, to go back and forth makes other teams prepare and means in March you can play with whoever is playing however, right? Um, speaking of whatever, whoever, however, let's talk a little bit about steak because I like that whenever, however, all the time. I use steak right now. So in looking at Omaha Steaks, which is bringing you this episode of Locked on Cougs, um, they have a special holiday sale going, and you should be sure that you are checking out their holiday sale because what's a better gift than a good steak? Almost takes us everything you need to give a gift that is simply the perfect gift. Send an assortment of mouthwatering favorites like the delicious butcher's cuff lamb and yawn. They got boneless chicken, uh, juicy burgers, easy to prepare comfort meals that are ready like super fast. And as a coach that gets home at like 11 something at night, like that's key. Um, you don't wait to order. Uh, go ahead and beat the shipping rush. Go to omahsteaks.com and use promo code locked on at checkout. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart. It's a gift that we remember with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence knowing that you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com. Take advantage of 50% off site wide. Use promo code locked on. Get an extra $40 off at checkout order. Yes, that's all together. That's a lot of money off. And this is really good steak. Minimum order may be required. Um, so in looking at that game, I think it was interesting. We saw so many young guys play. And, um, you know, freshmen, sophomores, a lot not much experience. Tremont Mark, obviously, uh, coaches called him a second semester freshman a lot of times because I guess we're about to move his third semester, but because of his red shirt and his injury and, and all of that. Um, and then in the aftermath of the game, uh, Samson doubled down on some thoughts he's got about things like the transfer portal um, and, you know, playing young guys and one and dones. And he wasn't anti one and done by any stretch. Um, we'll get to what he said about like a guy like Jairus Walker in a second. But it was just fascinating that this this Houston program he's built, um, he continues to like build in a very specific direction as college sports around him have dramatically changed, right? The transfer portal and college football and basketball is this wide open, open market system every single off season that he bluntly doesn't seem to care much about. Like, well, you bring a guy in that wants to come home like Quentin Grimes did. Absolutely. 
Is he going out of his way to hit it hard every single offseason? No, it's just another part of the recruiting process to Samson. And Samson's built himself a year-in, year-out contender. So I think that that's worth weighing here. Once you build it, they will come to you. You don't have to go do a whole lot of searching. Um, he mentioned that the biggest thing they do when they recruit kids is look for fit with Houston. That's fit schematically. That's fit with their character. And in the conjunction of the two, it's fit with their culture he and his staff have created here in the third ward. And I think what's fascinating there is you see that, right? Um, Malik Willis is being, I, I assume, registered right now. He transferred from Texas Tech. Um, and I don't mean to read between too many lines, but because he's getting registered right after transferring, I wonder if he's like finding his fit still in those things. And also, I wonder how much it was, a, I'd like to come to Houston versus a, we need to go get that kid kind of thing. If they need to go get him, then I feel like they, they might have been playing him more. I, I don't mean to diminish anything. Malik Willis, when I saw that practice way, way back, uh, it, He's a phenomenal athlete. I'm sure he can. Like he's, he jumps out of the gym. I'm sure he's got a role on the team he wants to play. Um, there's red shirt everything to kind of get him used to things. Um, but all that is to say that it's an interesting look into Kelvin Sampson's insight when he's looking at like the transfer portal and guys coming in and how like he uses it as like part of it, but it's not like the thing do or die he has to go get. And he also mentioned, and he's pointed out, I think several times at this point in the season, they don't have a whole lot of guys that just like flock to the transfer portal. Right, they don't have a whole lot of guys that just like have to get out of town, have to get out of Dodge, and have to go find their way into the transfer portal because they're not playing as freshmen. Right, um, Javier Francis is a sophomore that I think, by all intents and purposes, coming out of the Montverde Academy, the kind of stuff we just don't do against North Carolina A&T. Like, there's no reason that no one would have like people would have called him had he thrown his hat publicly in the transfer portal, anything like that. But he knew it was his turn. He knew his turn is coming, right? You say the same about J1 Roberts, who starts this year after not getting a whole lot of minutes last season. He absolutely could have been in the transfer portal, except he's got faith in the culture and the system and knows, A, he's on a winning team, and B, that his time is coming, right? You say the same thing about, you know, Tremont Mark, uh, you know, after the injuries and those kind of things, going to go get a fresh start. No, you got it here, right? Um I mean, bluntly, I'd argue that two years ago, you said the same with Monshed, who's clearly talented enough to start on a high-level program anywhere in America, and he got to play a lot more last year after some injuries, right? Like, that's the way that the cookie crumbles. Um, all that is to say that um, that faith and culture that Samson has built is very clearly serious, and something he's very serious about. Um, and it's just interesting to see him zigging when the country seems to be focused on the zagging. Um and, and I look at that and say that I look at the roster and see a lot of evidence to that. Um, you know, that's why you get guys that are, you know, highly touted prospects coming in, not playing as freshmen, staying for the sophomore year. We get that at Houston and other schools don't get that. I've tweeted several times at this point, Ryan Elvin, who is an admittedly a walk on. So it would be a little bit different to watch him transfer, but he's the guy we chant for at the end of games. And he comes in and he's got, uh, you know, hits a three here, hits three there. He'd, he'd be in the rotation for over 100 Division I colleges. And I don't mean that because, like, we're going to pat him on the back. Like, I, like Ryan's a fun guy. Um, he seems to be, like, very, like, you know, warm-hearted, good, like, good person. I I mean, he's got a great story on GoCoops.com. You going to read stuff, stuff about his uh, dad who passed away about a year ago. Um, but I – and it's very warm and, like, sentimental and, and it's tear-jerky. Um, but Ryan also, like – 
is a great basketball player. There are a lot of teams, especially if they run zone. Like there's a lot of teams that would go get Ryan Elvin in a transfer portal if he wanted a scholarship to go play somewhere. And there's a lot of teams, frankly, that could use his stroke, just his outside jumper that he might not start at all hundred plus schools I'm talking about, but he'd be in their eight man, right? Like he'd be in the rotation as a guy that came in and broke the other zone while insert team got to play his own on defense. Right. And I don't think that can be overlooked that like Houston has the kind of culture that guy shows up as a walk on plays four minutes a night, wanted to blow out and not at all. Otherwise puts in all the work as everyone else. And it's still around. Right. Um, all, all phenomenal things to see. Coach also flipped uh, and started talking about how, like, you know, the one and done is also the, you know, if I'm not getting what I want, I leave kind of thing. It's also turning into guys just jumped in the league, right? And how Houston's got this crazy young team and how college basketball is kind of leaning young these days and how a lot of guys go just jump the league instead of staying two, three, four years. And he, you know, passes guys in the back. Like last year's team was fairly veteran, right? Uh, Fabian White, for example, a fairly veteran group. Uh, Kyler, right, a big veteran veteran guard last year. And he says, like, Matt, he pointed out and used Jarris as an example, not to, like, diminish him. But he's like, you know, imagine if Jarris was – what would Jarris Walker look like? I think the quote was. In his third – I got it written down that way. What would Jarris Walker look like in his third year as a Houston Cougar? And think about that. Think about – Coach Sam's point, I get 30 games this year, 30 games the next year. And by December of his third year, he'd have – 10 or 15 games in that year as well. And you start adding up like the college experience that he'd have playing on Houston's campus. Like, Oh my God, all of a sudden that guy is like all everything top of the world. And I think that feels obvious, but there is this assumption that Jairus Walker is not going to play more than 35 games in a Houston Cougar uniform, right? He'll play this season. He'll be a top 10 pick. He'll go make a bunch of money and he should. But I think Samson's pointing out that like, you know, they've got a really young team this year. And they got a bunch of guys in that sophomore-ish area that are even younger because they don't leave in the transfer portal. And all those things add up together to make this crazy young team. That doesn't mean that they're not someone I'm going to be betting on or making picks on or whatever. I still think Houston's got a chance to win it all. But contextualizing all of that, that A, college basketball is a world where like guys don't stick around for one year. And B, they're a team that has guys in their first year or guys in their first year of any real action at all highly touted everything, but like they're learning how to play this level of basketball on the fly, basically save for Sasser and Shed. Um, that's interesting framing that I hadn't put on the season myself. And he managed to do it in a way that at least had me interested enough to ramble on and on and on. But like I told you guys, I'm still betting on the Cougs, and I think you should too. If you're going to go bet anyway, you should go to betonline.net. It's your number one source for sports betting, info, stats, news, analysis. Get the latest trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football, college bowl season, uh, basketball, the World Cup. They've got it all at betonline.net. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting information. Head to the website today to use your mobile device to learn more. Betonline.net is where the game starts. Um, I'm plugging this one until December 24th. Um, they've currently got Houston as just a six and a half point favorite against Louisiana in the Independence Bowl. They got the over under set at uh, 58 points. And I'm telling you, take Houston, take the points, and take the over. That game is going to be high scoring. Clayton Toon is playing. Tank Dell is playing. They score a bunch of touchdowns. I'm going to win by more than a touchdown. I feel fairly confident 
that that so that team's going to ride off in the sunset this season. Um, add in the stuff about Dana and playing for Leach and those kinds of things. It just feels like it's that kind of year where obviously it's not the bowl game Houston wanted to be in. We're hoping for a New Year's Six kind of thing. Instead, let's go kill it in Louisiana over the winter holiday. I'm taking Houston, the points, the over. I'm saying it all the way between now and then. Do it at betonline.net if you're going to do it. But I'm going to go take the Cougs. All right. Um, Last but not least, I do want to look some at the Virginia game. So first of all, this is the snippet. Friday will be the full long show um, talking about Houston versus Virginia. And obviously on Saturday itself, we'll be tweeting all the time about the game because it'll be what's on at least one, if not all of my television screens. But I have to say that I think interestingly enough in looking at the roster for UVA, he wants to say the who's, but I guess technically the Cavaliers, um, they're built a lot like us. And by, by that, I mean that like, they primarily play like six eights as their big men, and they primarily rely on uh, uh, Kaihi Clark. Uh, Kihei Clark. Um, I, I feel like <laughs> I'm butchering the name because I've heard it 17,000 times, and I can't seem to get it right when it comes off of my own tongue. Um, that's not to say that we won't hear his name a lot on Saturday. He is the guard that gets it all going. What's fascinating is is that Houston is kind of a team that I think is oddly built, and they have two smaller guards that both feel like point guards. Um, And oddly enough, so does Virginia. Uh, Clark himself is just 5'9". Their bigger guard is Armand Franklin at 6'4". I I don't know. I think they also... So they also start uh, Reese Beekman. I guess one of those guys has to technically be a 4, but Beekman's only 6'3". Suddenly it's like, oh, this team has a bunch of guys in their 6'5 in the backcourt. They also have uh, Jaden Gardner 6'7 and uh, Vanderplas is 6'8 as far as their big men go. like They're very much built like Houston. The difference is they have a 7-footer coming off the bench, and I think our matchup there came down to it. I guess technically it would be Javier Francis. We mentioned his height and length and those kinds of things. But their team built like Houston, right? Long story short, I've gone on about it for 90 seconds. Team built like Houston, right? And in doing so, I was like, dang, like, what are the odds? Um, and so I watched um, a, a condensed game of their games against Baylor and James Madison. I picked Baylor and James Madison. Baylor because of the most points that Virginia had scored this season. So I want to see what parts of their offense worked. And I watched the James Madison game because it was like one of their closer games in a recent game. And I was like, huh, like that's interesting. I want to see how that goes. Um, and I thought it was interesting. And we'll talk more in depth about this, like X and O's and schematics and stuff, whatever, later. Um but as far as like overarching themes, I think we need to kind of keep in mind, start getting our head wrapped around and then leave comments if you want to have questions about this because I'm putting things together. But more, um, the Baylor length really, really, really bothered Virginia in the half court setting. Now, Virginia was able to get out and transition. It didn't matter so much against them. I don't know how good they're being transitioning against Houston. Houston harps transition defense so, so strongly. This camps, that's a Kelvin Sampson staple. But the length bothered them. And we've talked about how several Houston Cougars have very long wingspan that kind of play bigger than they're listed at, right? I wonder how that's going to play out on Saturday. Um, again, I think if you stop Clark, uh, we we heard the St. Mary's coach, uh, name slipping my tongue because I'm live right now, but uh, a couple weeks ago mentioned that he felt like stopping Jamal Shedd was like cutting the head off the snake and they couldn't do it at St. Mary's. 
Um, I feel like stopping Clark is kind of the same thing with them. He is there. Ball is in his hand, 80% of the possession because he's orchestrating the entire thing. And in doing so, I feel like Houston's got a chance. If they can shut him down. Um, the X factor I'm pulling together after watching these things is a uh, shooter, a six. What is he listed at here? Um, a six, four shooter, Isaac McNeely. He's a freshman. He was a top 55 recruit a year ago. Um, I, He's their seventh man off the bench in a roster. I kind of see them play mostly six deep. Um, and so, like, he's gotten more minutes, I guess, as you watch his game logs go down as it's gotten closer now. Um, but in the James Madison game, where it's a little bit less athletic team than Virginia, um, as a freshman, like we talk about, like, our freshman against uh, North Carolina A&T, Isaac McNeil is able to stay on the floor a lot longer defensively. And thus, he kind of got hot shooting the ball. Now, he's got the seven most minutes per game, and so I don't want to make that like an abomination or difference. But in watching the two games put together, they very clearly play their first six guys in you know pretty much unison. And then seven, eight kind of comes in. Isaac McNeely, seven. And then a guy named Ryan Dunn's kind of the opposite, a big, strong athlete that doesn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, and that's kind of the balance there. The fascinating thing here is I was watching their offense trying to figure out who scored, like who's the guy. But when we played Alabama, right? We stopped, stopped Brandon Miller, stopped the show. Didn't quite work out like that, by the way, but we did stop Brandon Miller, right? Kept it close. Um, when teams play us, they're like, hey, we shut down Sass, we got a chance. You know, Alabama kind of shut down Sass. Um, I look at their roster, I'm like, man, on, on the floor, I can't figure out who the guy is. And then I watch, look at their stats, and all five starters are between nine and 11.6 points per game. All five, uh, four of them have 10 or more and one, uh, Caden Shindrick, he's got 9.1 stat one points per game. Um, that's fascinating to me. And that frankly just reeks of a Tony Bennett team because it is classic. We're going to come down here. We're going to run our, it's not Princeton. We're going to run our sets and we're going to find the open guy in the half court. We're just going to get the guy ball. The guy, you know, guy's got the open shot. And he's going to score. That's just how things go. Um, it's just interesting to see it play out again, like like so perfectly for them. Um, as far as Tony Bennett classic things, the thing I'll leave you with and the thing that I think is going to kind of be determined on how close this game is. I think Houston's got a chance. And if you tell me it's a blowout right now, I think the only blowout way this goes is, is Houston's. I'm going to knock on wood for that one. Um, it was a blowout one way. It's because Houston used the ball really well because they run this pack line defense at Virginia that Tony Bennett has kind of become like as the UVA uh, last like half decade. So they have a really good basketball program. I guess it might be close to a decade at this point. If I'm just old, um, but it's all based around like they run a man defense, but they make you just shoot over the top because there's no defense three seconds in college basketball. They just keep bodies in the lane at all times and keep bodies in the middle of the floor at all times, just make it re- ridiculously impossible to get a good shot off inside of 20 feet. So you got to beat them by shooting the ball well from beyond that. Um, everyone remembers the loss of a 16 seed. What was that six years ago now, seven years ago now? People forget that that 16 seed shot the ball really well from three. That's the way you beat this defense is if you shoot the ball really well from three, it makes them get extended and it's not that they don't have the athletes to do it. It's that they don't have the practice time doing it. They don't have to extend out of that pack line very often. Um, pack line defense, as far as coaching schematics goes, also fascinating because you don't use the sidelines and as a help defender in quite the same way other ones do. Um, really, really interesting stuff that Tony Bennett's done on defense. And frankly, in 20 years, if everyone's running the pack line, we could talk about him as a guy that changed college basketball. But 
as far as what Houston does athletically, if this is the kind of game that Terrence Arsenal can play defense well in and Sasser shooting the ball well, I'm going to get a couple of made threes and a mark and shed. And like Jess Walker goes one for four, even you got to come cover him. Suddenly we're beating the pack line. And that's why I say that if, if the pack line's working, I think this is a, a gritty 50 to 55 kind of game, right? I think Houston's got a chance to win at 50 55 um, because both teams want to mud, you know, uh, coach Sampson called the same Mary's game, a mud bath, uh, kind of muddy it up when they're playing defense. I could see that this game going that way. I could also see it going where Virginia wants to cut off the twos. I'm like, okay, and three, 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 three. And it's like, oh, crap, what do they do? And all of a sudden, Houston's up by a lot of points. And then uh, Kelvin Sampson rips them at halftime about what happened in the Alabama game. And they come on, don't let the leads away, and so on, right? Um, I I just I, – I can see Houston losing this game. I don't mean to say that I don't, and I don't mean to write off them at all. I'm not trying to say I underestimate them. I just think that if Houston loses this game, it's because the game got really, really muddy, and that means it's a close, low-scoring game. I, that's all. That that's the way I see it happening. If Houston loses, um, if you got something different to say, or if you want to talk to me about the Who's, the Cougs, the whatever, uh, the Rockets, the Astros, the Texans, whatever you want to talk about on Twitter, I'm here to talk all things Houston all day long. So make sure you find me on Twitter at Painsworth five one two. It's P A I N S W O R T H. 512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all the various social media handles. I got Be Real the other day. I'm still learning how to work that. I haven't ever posted a TikTok, but I guess that shows my age. Make sure you find me at Pains with 512. We'll talk all things Cougs. Thank you all so much for tuning into the show today. I'll be talking again tomorrow and throughout the week, each and every day, talking about Houston Cougar basketball, football, and everything in between. So make sure you subscribe to make us your first listen today. If you're looking for a second listen, uh, I got to recommend what Jackson's doing over at Locked on Rockets. Um, the Rockets are winning games against good teams to beat the Bucks, the Suns twice, the Sixers. Um, there's the great, uh, you know, like triumph of toughness from Steven Silas showing up after his father, Paul Silas, NBA coaching legend, passed away. Great, great stuff happening over there. Go talk to Jackson at Locked on Rockets. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Locked on Cougs is a proud member of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Go Cougs!